What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Great to have you along again this week. Uh, Just a brief request before we get into uh, the podcast today. Uh, If you haven't done so already, I would certainly be grateful if you would follow the podcast. Um, If the content resonates with you, that helps me out by getting the content in front of more people. Also, if you have any questions or topics, anything that, that, that you might like to hear covered at some point in the podcast, please leave those in a comment and I will endeavor to address those in the podcast at some point. Um, Well, we are on uh, in on in our final day in our series um, from Patmos to present, A Vision of Seven Churches. Welcome back. This is the final installment. And if, of course, if you'd like to do so, you can go back through the podcast and listen to uh, what we've said about the other churches at any time you'd like to do so, review those things. And today we arrive at Laodicea, the final stop on our tour of the seven churches of Asia. I've heard these different churches um, used as a metaphor for different historical periods. I don't really go down that road myself. I think there's always application to be found in what Jesus says to these churches, regardless of where we are in history. Uh, that's the reason we've been studying these churches. They aren't metaphorical. Uh, each one is a real church, a real place, receiving real encouragement and warning from Jesus. And I think we would establish that we can always find application in the words of Jesus. Let's read what Jesus has to say to the Laodiceans. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. He says, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says these things. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich and have stored up goods and need of, have need of nothing. Yet you do not realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be dressed, that the shame of your nakedness may not appear, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, will I grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we are... Visiting Laodicea today. And this church is about 65 kilometers, 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia. I read that today Christianity is virtually non existent in this particular area. It seems as though Jesus did remove the candlestick of Laodicea. Um, Wealthy area, wealthy church. It was Laodicea was on a major trade route with large manufacturing, banking operations. Uh, had a medical school and was a center of the worship of the god Asclepius, the god of medicine, which I suppose that makes sense since there was a medical school there. 
like other cities we've read about, uh, this uh, Laodicea also was home to a colony of Jewish people. And in Laodicea was also destroyed by an earthquake at one point in history. But unlike the other cities that we've talked about, the citizens of Laodicea boasted that they needed no outside assistance in rebuilding their city, which you can definitely make the connection there um, with what Jesus says in the passage of scripture we just read. And it you know explains some of the trouble with the church at Laodicea. Laodicea is a tepid church of material abundance and spiritual indifference. And the church flourished for a while, but eventually faded into nothing, unfortunately. And when Jesus addresses this church, he says to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says these things. when, When we pray, we end our prayer with amen. And we do it so much, we probably don't even think about it. I would venture a guess that many Christians uh, probably don't even know what that means or, or why we do it. And for, for many of us, it probably means the prayer's over. I can open my eyes now. When we say amen at the end of a prayer, what that is supposed to mean is it expresses agreement. It's an affirmation. I'm taking part in the prayer. I agree with this prayer. In a group setting, when we pray, like in church, when someone prays, we participate in that prayer and express express affirmation with an amen. And I certainly encourage you to do that. Another way that amen is used is it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, um, well, it doesn't happen a lot in some churches. It happens more in other churches, but amen is also a, gr- a way to agree with a point in from the message. I've spoken in different churches where people shout amen a lot and others where they don't at all. And that's fine either way. It's not a requirement. It's a personality of the church, really. Um, So that's the word amen. That's what it means. It's an affirmation. It's a way to participate in the prayer, in the sermon, um, either one. And this is another one of those things as we read this passage from the book of Revelation. Like so many things in scripture, it's easy to kind of breeze breeze over this and not really even notice it. And that's how Jesus uses the word amen. He says Uh, amen, not to close what he's saying, but to open what he says. He refers to himself as the amen. He uses the word amen as a proper name for himself. And the word amen is a transliteration of a Hebrew word that means truth and certainty. From that meaning, Jesus uses amen as, well, like I said, a proper name for himself. It's like saying the true one, or the one whose name is truth and certainty says these things. He also refers to himself as the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now there's a few odd sects, um, kind of, well, some cults have claimed this verse is proof that Jesus was not divine, but part of creation as a created being. But that's a, a misunderstanding of the scripture. The correct understanding of the verse is that he is the beginning of creation in the sense that it begins with him. He's the beginner of creation. And then as he's done with each church, Jesus once again says, I know your works. We've seen that with each of the seven churches of Asia. I know your works. And that's such a profound statement. Jesus says to each church, I know your works. And he can make that statement regarding every church 
And every Christian throughout history, including you and me, Jesus can say about you, he can say about me, I know your works. You know, I can look around in my church as I walk down the street and, you know, friends, family, stuff like that. And I can kind of say, I know your works. Like, I know what you do. I know what you're up to. You can look at me and say, I know what you do. I see what you do. You put out a podcast and things like that. But we all know that if we say that about someone or someone says that about us, that it's only a partial knowing. You know something about me? You know, my wife knows a lot about me, but even my wife doesn't know everything about me. No one knows everything except Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can say, I know your works and it is completely true when he does. Now, take just a moment and think about that. Jesus can say about you, I know your works and it's completely true when he says that. He knows everything about you, everything you do, everything you don't do, all of those things. He can say that with truth. He can say that with certainty. I know your works. When you hear that, now, what's the next thing you think about? I don't know your works like Jesus does, but I would venture a guess that your next thought is probably about your works. You know, what am I doing? What what am I doing that I should be doing? What am I doing that I shouldn't be doing? All those things. Jesus says, I know your works. What that does, that statement leads us to self-examination. What do we really think about it? And for some, it may you know, lead, to, lead to a rebellious rejection, but the right response is self-examination. And when it comes to that self-examination, when Jesus says, I know your works, I... You know, some people are too hard on themselves. Some others are not hard enough on themselves. But we all have blind spots in the way that we view ourselves. We all do. And when Jesus says, I know your works, to each of these seven churches, what he's really doing is he's opening their eyes to themselves, whether it's an encouragement, this is something you're doing that's right and good, or it's a warning. You know, you shouldn't be doing this because I don't want you to be doing that. And he goes on from there and he gives these uh, encouragements and warnings depending on the church. And one thing that we can pick up and learn from this is that we can be blind to our own shortcomings and our own sin, but Jesus is not. And a person has to open their eyes to that before they can even come to know Jesus as a savior. Because without that, we won't realize we even need a savior, understand why Jesus had to die on the cross, we can be unaware of our own blind spots, unaware of our own complacency, unaware of our own apathy, unaware of our own spiritual mediocrity. And the very dangerous part of that is that we can gradually drift to that place through complacency. And I don't think... um, the church at Laodicea ever intended to become a church that Jesus threatens to spew out of his mouth or spit out of his mouth. Um, I think they were just complacent. You know, they got comfortable, wealth made life easy, and they just drifted to that place. It seems that they, you know, didn't have any real challenges like some of the other churches did, and they drifted into complacency. Now, 
I can't speak for everyone, obviously, but I've never met a Christian who has gone astray, gone off track, found themselves, you know, trapped in sin, whatever, complacent, apathetic, who started out that way. Never met a Christian who intended to end up in a place where Jesus is threatening to uh, spit them out of his mouth like the Laodiceans. So what's the trouble? What's the problem with this church at Laodicea? Jesus says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich and have stored up goods and have need of nothing. Yet you do not realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's a lot of adjectives. Um, A church is made up of different kinds of people. And there were likely some Christians in Laodicea who had just become complacent in their faith, apathetic, lazy about it, undisciplined. Even even committed Christians can gradually wander to a place they never intended to go. And if we don't intentionally keep ourselves where we should be, give that thought and discipline ourselves, we can easily wander off into somewhere Jesus doesn't want us to be. And it could be that Some at the church in Laodicea did that. It could also be that some at the church in Laodicea had once known maybe a sense of God's will, but they had never accepted Christ. They'd never been saved. And then they relapsed back into a a sense of lost, just self-satisfaction where they didn't give much thought to anything, which is a pretty sad place to be. And I think there's probably... um, People in church like that. There's probably people like that in every church who, you know, they really maybe picked up on a sense of God's will at some point and they just never took the step of accepting Christ and they're just kind of there, but they're not really there. And you might remember the parable of the sower. Um, And in explaining the different kinds of soil in that parable, Jesus makes this comparison in Matthew 13, 22. He says, he also who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world and he becomes unfruitful. And I think that's the place where some of the believers in Laodicea are. And Jesus tells them, you're not hot, you're not cold, you are lukewarm. Now, not many things are good at room temperature. My least favorite thing to consume when it is tepid would probably be milk. Um, can you imagine a, a glass of milk sitting that's been sitting on the counter all day? It's not something you're going to pick up and go, mm, that sounds good. I don't care much for milk anyway, but you know, it's okay. I like it when it's hot, steamed in coffee or when it's made into ice cream, but a glass of tepid milk that's been sitting on the counter all day is pretty gross. What does Jesus mean by hot, cold, and lukewarm. We're going to have a go at explaining those that different terminology, hot, cold, lukewarm, or tepid. I like tepid. You can say it with more disdain. You're tepid. Anyway, we'll, we'll stick with lukewarm because that's what our translation says. But Jesus says he would rather they were either hot or cold rather than lukewarm. Let's start with hot. I think that's the easiest one to explain. Probably people um, kind of intuitively understand what hot is. What would it mean 
if the church at Laodicea was hot in the terminology Jesus uses, it would mean that this church would be decisively Christian. It would be Christian in a way that settles the issue. There's no question. It's decisive. They are decisively Christian. There wouldn't be any question about what they are about. If you scroll, say, if you scroll through their Instagram account, looked at their browser history, looked at their bookshelf, and talked to their friends and coworkers, you'd know what they are about. You could look at them and say, those people are decisively Christian. Whether someone likes that or not, well, that's not really relevant to some. You know that they were uh, decisively Christian would be, you know, positive to some and be negative to others. But either way whether you know, uh, other Christians are looking at them or non-Christians are looking at them, they would be able to tell, there would be no doubt that they are decisively Christian. So that's what hot means, decisively Christian. Now, what about cold? What would cold be um, in the way Jesus uses it? Um, like some, some, I don't know, some grumpy old guy in church who looks like he's been sucking on a lemon. You know, that guy who scowls at you because you make too much noise or you don't dress right or whatever. Now, you know, I'm joking there, but I, I don't think that's cold. I think that's lukewarm. And hot seems a relatively easy label to define. And I think cold's a little more difficult to grasp. I think it, it um, could probably be taken a few different ways. And, you know, in the context, it's not clearly defined. So we're we're just kind of taking these things from uh, scripture in general and, and applying them. And the people Jesus labels as cold, I think he's talking about people who are decisively not Christian. Hot is decisively Christian. Cold is decisively not Christian, but there's hope for conversion. There's an opportunity for them to hear the gospel and trust Jesus. These are people to whom Jesus can open a door of ministry. Uh, work can and should be done to reach people who are cold. Jesus cares about people who are decisively not Christian. And of course, he'd rather they, you know, know him as Savior, but, you know, we're working on it. So we have hot, those who are decisively Christian. We know what they're about. There's no question about who and what they are. There's cold who are decisively not Christian, but hey, there's hope for conversion. And what does Jesus mean when he labels this church as lukewarm? That one, um, you know, I'm, I'm usually careful not to point fingers, put labels on people and churches and things like that. I, I'm not that kind of guy. Um, I just, I don't know. I find that um, tacky to do that. But if I were to use this church, I say it's tacky and here I am going to do it. But if I were to use this church as a metaphor for a period of time, like some do, it would be contemporary Western Christianity. However, in saying that, you know, Jesus is saying this 2,000 years ago. And when you read old books, many church leaders, scholars have said they would apply the Laodicean church to the time in which they lived. So obviously this has always been a problem. But that aside, what does Jesus mean by lukewarm? What's he talking about? When Jesus labels this church as lukewarm, I think he is saying they are indecisively Christian. Hot, decisively Christian. Cold, decisively not Christian. Lukewarm is indecisively Christian. 
Um, to Jesus, the lukewarm church of the Laodiceans is kind of annoying to look like. It's kind of annoying to look at. Like, you know, if you you capitalize the word Christian as it should be, but then let's say you don't capitalize it. These are like small C Christians. The word isn't capitalized. You know it should be. It's kind of it's kind of annoying to look at it. What does Jesus mean when he calls this church lukewarm? Well, it means exactly what he says. He says they are not hot or cold. They're somewhere in between. They are not decisively Christian or decisively not Christian. They're indecisively Christian. Indecisively means not providing a clear and definite result. It kind of leaves, if they're lukewarm, that means you're left wondering what they are. Jesus is looking at this church and saying, what, what exactly are you? What are you doing? What are you about? You know, who are you? What are you? And, you know, you've got a foot in both worlds. What are you doing? And frankly, I don't know. There's a lot of that in Christianity. Like I say, I don't only pick on people or point fingers, but this is, this is kind of a finger pointing passage. I look at some claiming to be Christian and I think, what are you? But you're not, you know, you're not Christian, but you're not not Christian either. A lot of things get Christian labels slapped on them. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't know if that applies to you. I'm not really sure. I'd like, you know, uh, you hear things like, well, I like God's love and grace, but don't talk to me about blood and judgment. I'm all about self-help and life coaching, but don't talk to me about sin and salvation. Uh, I'll talk about health and prosperity, but not suffering and man's sinfulness. Lukewarm ministry leaders say, we want to be careful what we say because we don't want to be off-putting for anyone. And that's because they're trying to build an organization, and not a church. But unless the Lord builds the house, they the labor, labor in vain. Lukewarm is like having a, a foot in both worlds, but at the same time, not being either one. See, Christians are not of this world. And then there's the other side of that too, where I only talk about sin and judgment, not love and grace. Uh, some believers try to offend people and keep their church small. And that kind of church wants to keep things comfortable for themselves. And that's lukewarm too. It really is. And you could compare the Pharisees to lukewarm believers. And, and if it's all about love and grace with no blood and judgment or legalism with no love and grace, that builds an organization for the comfort of certain members. It's not about Jesus. Being lukewarm is really all about being comfortable. It's about self. It's very selfish. All about comfort, wealth, building an organization where the focus is on the comfort, the health, and wealth of the membership, which is what Jesus is pointing to in verse 17, where he says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. So how does Jesus feel about the Laodiceans being lukewarm? Well, he doesn't mince words. He says, because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. And some, some translations say spew or vomit. And that sounds harsh because it is harsh. It's like Jesus is saying to the Laodiceans, you disgust me. And that's pretty rough to hear. When I read this passage, I get the idea that Jesus is getting pretty personal and I think rightly so. The lukewarm church claims to represent Jesus, but they don't. Nobody likes being misrepresented. 
and they are indecisively Christian. And we've all heard John 3, 16, God so loved the world. And Jesus loves the hot and the cold. But when I read this, it's almost like Jesus is saying to the lukewarm Laodiceans, yes, I love everyone, but you are pushing it. It's an interesting thought. But Jesus does love everyone, even the lukewarm. We know that. And the evidence of that is rebuke and discipline. The fact that Jesus is still talking to this church is proof that he loves them. To every church we've talked about, Jesus gives them encouragement and warnings because he loves them. He's given us his word because he loves us. And the reason we have these encouragements and warnings is because Jesus loves us. And as he says in verse 19, to those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Change your mind. Agree with me. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what it means to repent is to change your mind, agree with God, and live the way that he wants you to live. That will in turn change your life and your church. And it will do that if you do that. Repent. And uh, that's, I suppose, the, the key in all of these warnings that Jesus gives every one of these churches is repentance, turning back, going back to where you were, agreeing with what Jesus says to these churches. And you and I can do the same thing. We can agree with what Jesus says. And that's what it means to repent. And then we live like we agree with what he says. Well, that's all we have for today. Um, Just to wrap up one more thing. Again, if you would follow the podcast, I would certainly appreciate that. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to see covered, leave those in a comment and uh, look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. 